0: last week i disappointed one little girl because we were not in the book of daniel and because she had read the entire book of daniel and wanted to raise her hand little eliana uh isn't with us now she's in florida but uh, that was so precious for her to come up and say i read through the whole book and i said well that's kind of fun but it was kind of hard too was it she said oh yeah." And so I said, well, that is great. So I put her in our number. We have 22 so far. Others who in the last two weeks have read the book for the first time, and you're not in my 22 already. Let me see your hand. A one there. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten more. Thank you, thank you. we are up to 32. We're aiming for 75. So if you're not the one on the 32 side, you've got homework. (laughs) Okay, read through the book of Daniel. It will will be a blessing to you. 32 people can attest to that. Um, But it will be a blessing to you, and I encourage you to try that this week. Maybe you're one to give a title of one word per chapter. You've read it through and you said, I could do that too. And so you've come up with one word for each chapter. We've had four people do that already. Anybody else want to add to that list? Any chapters? Oh, we do have one. Okay, Yvonne. Uh, chapter 1, Dedication 2, Intercipation 3, Faith 4, Power 5, warning. Courage, seven dreams, eight future, nine prayer, 10 vision, 11 war, and 12 resurrection. Excellent. Yes. Isn't that great? Was that a fun project? Yes. See? Testimonial right there. Anybody else? Oh, we have one up there in the balcony. Nice, vegan, huh? was <laughs> okay. Good job. All right. Anybody else? Don't want to miss out on the fun. All right. There's another option for you. As you read through it, you might just jot down one word that sums up that chapter. And as you can see, it's painless to share it with us. We enjoy that, so we want to encourage you to try that too. All right. The third option was to memorize five verses from the book of Daniel. I recommend five. That might encourage you. Uh, But anybody have verses to share this morning? Uh Uh-huh. Not yet? That's the right, right, right way to say that, right? Not yet. Okay. I know some people are working on that. So far, we've had two share verses with us, so we would also encourage you to try that. You can do all of the above, you can just do one of the above, however you'd like to do. I just want you to get involved in the book. Sometime during the week when we're not here on Sunday morning, to take a few minutes to think about Daniel, to read Daniel, to, to... Here's another option for you, in case you say, well, I'm not really good at reading and all that. Do you know how many audio Bibles there are out there that are absolutely free? And you could just click it on. You could do it while you're driving. Think about it. You could take it to work. If you don't have to watch something important, you could listen to it. Uh, But I'm just saying, there's all kinds of ways to hear the book of Daniel, read the book of Daniel, or read it to your children or grandchildren. Then it counts for two or three people that way. But uh, that would be a great idea, too. I just want to encourage you, uh, because it encourages one another, that we need to invest some time in this book. We're going to learn it, we're going to spend time in it, but I want to profit the most from it, and that's my encouragement to you. We're going to chapter 2 today, please. Chapter number 2 of the book of Daniel. You may say, well, we're moving fast, it's only going to take us four months. The first half of the book can go fast. Uh, the second half of the book, maybe not so fast. Because one half of it is on uh, the people, especially Daniel and his life, and the focus on people, and the second half is heavy in prophecy. And it's almost split right down the middle. Six chapters on one, six on the other. But uh, today we're going to be in uh, Daniel chapter 2, and we're going to have a word of prayer first, and then we're going to read, I'll read to you from verse 1 through verse 18. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Again, what a privilege we have to have this book in our hand right now. We can read from it, and though it uh, launches us back uh, 2,600 years or so, we can still glean so much from your word, because it is alive. It's active, it's powerful, and we know it always accomplishes what you set up for it to do. And you're using this book in our lives, too, and challenging us. With it, And so as we submit to this time, to listening and reading and understanding, we confess our dependence upon you and the Holy Spirit to be able to do this. Uh, teach us, Lord, as we sit at your feet. Show us what we need to know. Do your work in each of our hearts that we might stand and, and uh, respond to this book in a way that would bring honor and glory to your name. So, thank you for this opportunity. Pray your blessing on it. In Jesus' name, amen. The word that we're using for our study is uncompromising. Uncompromising. Daniel is an excellent example of a man who was uncompromising. And I'm not using that in the negative sense, like he was a hard guy to get along with. Uh, but uncompromising as to following the Lord. Um, He had a resolution to follow and obey God regardless of the consequence of living in a pagan world. Our text today is Daniel 2. And I'm going to read, like I said, 1 through 18. If you want to follow along, um, I read from a New American Standard version. If you have a different one, that's great. We encourage that too. Uh, So you might see a, a few words differently as we go through here, but... Nevertheless, this is the paragraph we're looking at. Now in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. And his spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king gave orders to call in his magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. The king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants, and we will declare the interpretation. The king replied to the Chaldeans, The command from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb, and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. But if you declare the dream and its interpretation, you will receive from me gifts and a reward... And great honor. Therefore declared to me the dream and its interpretation. They answered the second time and said, Let the king tell the dream to his servants, and we will declare the interpretation. The king replied, I know for certain that you are bargaining for time, inasmuch as you have seen that the command for me is firm, that if you do not make the dream known to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the situation is changed. Therefore, tell me the dream that I may know that you can declare to me its interpretation." The Chaldeans answered the king and said, "There is not a man on earth who can declare the, mat- this, the matter to the king. And as much as no great king or ruler has ever asked anyone like this or anything like this of any magician, conjurer, or Chaldean. Moreover, the thing which a king demands is difficult, and there is no one else who can declare it to the king except gods, whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. Because of this." The king became indignant and very furious and gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. Then Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Arioch, the captain of the king's bodyguards, who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He said to Arioch, the king's commander, for what reason is this decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch informed Daniel about the matter. So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matter so that they might request compassion from God of heaven concerning this mystery." So that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. I'm not finishing the story today. I'm just taking you that far. Now I've condensed our statements on uncompromising to just three words. Uh, We live in such a time when advertising seeks to sum up all you need to know in one word, it seems. Uh, Even Christian books are being published now with just one word on the cover. Um... In 1739, Charles Wesley wrote a hymn, soon to become a very favorite Christmas message. I had to sneak Christmas in here somehow. Um, his title was, Hark How the Welkin Rings, Glory to the King of Kings. That covers up the whole front of the page, by the way. Uh, we have revised it, condensed it, made it simpler to say, Hark the Herald Angel Sing. So, today we're going to take my big statement on uncompromising and put it down into three words. Trust God regardless. Trust God regardless. It is a fact that as long as we live on this earth, we will be in a pagan society. That doesn't sound encouraging, now does it? As much as we might desire to see a government run and people follow in a spiritual way, the truth is that the whole world does lie under the influence of the evil one. 1 John 5.19 says, We know that we are of God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. This system, the, the principalities and the authorities and the powers and the forces of evil are indicative of a world that desperately needs to know Christ. Desperately needs to know Him. And I'm thankful for our missionaries who go overseas and take the message to those who are unsaved in other parts of this world. But the unsaved are all around us too. Above the door outside my office as you're heading out, there's a little sign that's been there for quite some time now. And it simply says, you are now entering the mission field. We do live in a pagan world. But there is a difference between living in a world and being of the world. And our call is to be different. Our call is to stand firm in the truth of God's word. Yes, to be uncompromising. And the challenge will be for us, if it's not now, it will be. That we will trust God regardless. Regardless. That theme is quite heavy in the pre- presentation of the New Testament epistles. Especially in First John. If you read through First John sometime, you'll see that the issue of living godly in an ungodly world, it's just set before us over and over and over again. I constantly remind myself, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. I'm glad that I'm a citizen of heaven. But what we also find in the Old Testament are the men and women of faith who lived just like that, uncompromising in their day and their age. Daniel is the example that we pull out from this book. He trusted God regardless. And you're going to start to see him more and more on these pages as we work through the first six chapters of this book. We see Daniel in stories of faith. And we speak about them often, but we need to examine them. The last six chapters are going to be on prophecy, and we also have to take that by faith. Most of those are not yet fulfilled. And we anticipate some wonderful things yet to come. But someday, God will bring about His own victory. And I'm looking forward to it, aren't you? That's going to be an exciting day. Sometimes it seems, though, and I don't know how you might word this, but this is the way I do it. It's as if God is waiting for the world system to fall on its face to show that its government does not work. Personalities will not redeem this world. Only Christ can. You know that. I know that. So here we are in chapter 2 of the book of Daniel. First few chapters of these are narrative in nature. There will be more about stories of faith. So I'm going to do somewhat of a walking commentary with you today, because it's a lot of verses. And so when you start in verse number 1... Of chapter 2, now in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, we can stop there because it's interesting how the commentaries start to wrestle right away with certain things that are very hard to decipher in Old Testament literature. Uh, the setting of dates is challenging. I don't know if you've ever tried to mesh up chapters and say, wait a minute, that says 32 years and this says 24 years. What's the deal? Doesn't make sense. Nebuchadnezzar was called king during the invasion of Judah in 605. He was a king in chapter 1 of the book of Daniel. And we read there that Daniel was placed into a three-year training program. I call it the Babylonian Institute of Cultural Change. But he's in that program. And here we start this title of the very next verse of chapter number now in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar and we say wait a minute how are we only on the second year here and that's what the scholars have wrestled with for some time they, they believe that they can solve it by saying oh this is when Nebuchadnezzar was the solo king and up to then he was reigning with his father so that doesn't count in the numbers and so they could jiggle their numbers back and forth because he was a co-regent at one time and now he's all by himself, and maybe that's why it says that he's now in his second year of his reign. But I would add one thing that I haven't found, honestly, in the commentaries, and I just think it's simple, and I don't know if it's accurate. I'm just going to say what I think. There's no problem for us wondering if this is the first year, second year, third year, or whatever, if we still think that Daniel's in his training program what the commentators wrestle with is they've got to get Daniel graduated before they could do chapter 2. It doesn't say he did. It doesn't say that he was out of his training program at all. Matter of fact, when you follow through with the story, it makes a lot more sense to think Daniel was still in his training program. And I'll show you why. Stay tuned for that. Nebuchadnezzar in that second year had dreams, it says. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. This will not be the first time that Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. I think he loved pizza. If you eat a lot of pizza before you go to sleep at night, you're going to have interesting dreams, I think. Or at least I do, so I try not to do that. But uh, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. He is a man who put a lot of thought into his dreams. He thought they had significance whenever he had a dream. And it just so happened the Lord knew that about him too. Isn't that interesting? Because these dreams were actually brought on by God. For the purpose of this prophecy, for the declaration of its meaning, God intentionally had Nebuchadnezzar dream and gave him the curiosity to know what they meant. I think that's an interesting thing. But we do know that God had done that in the past, In Scripture, he gave messages to people in dreams. Joseph, remember when he was deciding to marry Mary? God approached him in a dream. We have other dreams like that, Jacob and others. I'm not saying that God still does that. I don't think that he does that. I think his word is complete, and we don't need dreams to know what's next or what to do. He says, trust me and read my word, and I count on that. Um, But that's his department. It's not mine. I'm not a dream maker. Alright? But Nebuchadnezzar wanted to know what the dream meant. It says in verse 2 that the king gave orders to call in the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans to tell the king his dream. So they came in and stood before the king. Now, if you're like me, you started to read verse number 2 and said, oh, these men are frauds. Alright? Probably thought something along that line. Oh, they're, you know, they really got this king duped. They're getting good jobs and good pay, no doubt, because they're on the king's payroll. They serve in his court. Um, They are important people. But you still look at them and say, but they're magicians and conjurers and sorcerers and Chaldeans. Maybe they were the kind of people that, that sold medicine from a wagon in the Old West. You know what I think, and maybe this isn't right at all, But I picture, you know in the circus when that little car drives into the center of the ring and 40 clowns jump out of it? I almost picture this right here and I chuckle a little bit because the reality is these guys just come running into the courtroom because the king has a problem. And they're all there to answer his need. What do you need, king? We're here for you, king. What can we do for you, king? We're the smartest people out there. Let us tell you what you need to know. Well, the reality is they were some of the most influential and the most intelligent and most trusted advisors uh, to the king in that kingdom. I want to read to you just a phrase out of uh, John Wickham's commentary on the book of Daniel, referring to these men. The very careful records uh, Babylonian astronomers kept of the movement of planets and comets and the phases of the moons were mainly for the purpose of determining the influence these gods might exert upon men and nations. Beginning about 747 B.C., that's almost 100 years before Nebuchadnezzar, uh, very accurate records were handed down so that the Babylonian astronomers were able to calculate The length of the year is 365 days, 6 hours, 15 minutes and 41 seconds. Now, of course, you know that's not accurate. Right? He missed it by 26 minutes and 55 seconds. That's 500 BC, folks. Their calculation was incredible. Matter of fact, they could predict solar and lunar eclipses based on the information they knew. That's pretty smart people. In my book, they're pretty smart. They were top-notch in the Babylonian court, to tell the truth. If anyone could decipher a dream, it had to have been among their duties. No one else was considered wise enough to bring that about. Well, this is where the dialogue starts, and it gets rather interesting in a hurry, doesn't it? In verse number 3, the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants, and we will declare its interpretation. Pretty easy, routine, logical, probably the way they always did it. Now the twist. The king replied to them in verse 5. I've got a command for you, and it's firm. I'm not going to change my mind. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, then you will be torn limb from limb, and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. Suddenly, it became very urgent. But picture this. Not only should they... Interpret the dream, they could do that if they heard the dream, but he says, No, you're going to tell me the dream and then tell me what it means. Looks like they caught the king in a bad mood. Really? You're going to tear us apart? Destroy our homes? Nebuchadnezzar was king, he was king. He did declare things like this, but he always followed through, by the way. When he just demanded that the three bow down to the idol and they didn't, he said, turn up the furnace seven times hotter. Did they? Yes. Did he throw them in? Yes. This man is serious when he makes a threat, and that's what he exactly did here. Now, if he was king, my guess is that he was not going to let them assume that they have some sort of mastery over him in any department at all. The threat was real, and they knew it. Suddenly, there's an urgency to do their job, but it's an impossibility. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was a balanced kind of guy, I think. He says, if you fail, you will experience the worst debts I could ever put on you. But if you succeed, I will reward you beyond your wildest dreams. I will give to you gifts and rewards and great honor. So there's your option. Nice balanced approach. But the word impossible still sits there, doesn't it? Can't do it, king. So these intelligent counselors made the request a second time. Verse 7. They answered the second time and said, Let the king tell his dream to his servants, and we will declare the interpretation. And Nebuchadnezzar is very strong in his opinion, about these wise men. Notice his words about them in verse 8. I know for certain that you are bargaining for time, inasmuch as you have seen that the command for me is firm, that if you do not make the dream known to me, there is only one decree for you, and that's death. For you have agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the situation is changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, watch this, that I may know that you can declare to me its interpretation. If you can't tell me the dream, then I don't believe what you're going to say, what it means. You have to show me. You have to show me you could do this. You see, this is more than just a threat to their funding, or to the retirement account, or anything like that. This was a test to see if they were real. Now, as a congregation, we'd say, oh, he got them now, because <laughs> they can't do it. It's going to prove them as frauds. It's going to prove that they were just using the king for his authority and, and parading around like they knew something. And the king put them in their place. The Chaldeans answered the king in verse number 10. There is not a man on earth who can declare this matter for the king inasmuch as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything of, this, of the magicians. You know, that's almost fighting words for Nebuchadnezzar. Nobody else does this. Well, that doesn't help their case. He said, they said, moreover, in verse 11, the thing which the king demands is difficult, and there is no one else who can declare it to the king except God's. And they don't even live with us anyway. So they put it all in a different department. It's not ours. We can't do it. It belongs to divine creatures and such. We can't do it. We can't do it. So Nebuchadnezzar decides, okay, then let's carry out my threat. Verse number 12. Because of this, the king became indignant. Very furious gave orders to destroy not just the group in the room, all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. Suddenly we've just inserted Daniel into the text. Now some people ask this question, So why wasn't Daniel in that meeting with the king? He was among the wise men, and he called for the wise men. Shouldn't Daniel have been there? That would have changed the whole story. If Daniel had only been in there, he was in the king's service, we read in chapter 1. Matter of fact, it said that he was ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all his realm in chapter 1. But that was at the end of the third year of his training program. Like I said, if Nebuchadnezzar is in his second year, then it appears that Daniel wasn't with the wise man because he was still in training. He was in the minor league still. He hadn't been moved up yet. As one being trained among the magicians and the conjurers, Daniel and his friends were counted as part of the wise men guild, though, because that's what they were training to be. And so all of them had to die by the king's decree. Didn't matter. Daniel was scooped up in this decree, and there was not much else he could do about that, or so it seems. Verse 14. Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Ariok, the captain of the king's bodyguard, who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. Now, here's a very bold move by Daniel. Like I said, he is still yet in training, from what I gather. He hasn't been confirmed to a high position yet. Uh, he doesn't go directly to the man in charge, but he goes to the man in charge of executions. And asks, is there anything about that decree that I can assist the king with? After this these chapters, Daniel's walking into the throne room itself. But at this point he's asking a king's commander what to do. And so he asked him in verse fifteen, For what reason is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Ariok informed Daniel about the matter. Now watch how he takes these steps very carefully. To resolve the problem, Daniel wanted to see the king. He went in to see the king. Now, that would be a big step. In a similar culture, not many years after this, we read of Esther. And you don't enter the king's presence without his permission. And if there's anything similar to that, because Nebuchadnezzar had his ways, Daniel said, I need to see the king. This guy was probably still in training. That's quite a brave thing to do. Simply put, the king's decree was already in motion. That's why that man was there to find Daniel. And Daniel could have walked into that throne room and any single one of those soldiers there would have put him to death legitimately because the king said to do so. That's a brave move to say, I want to go talk to the king. So in verse 16, Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. You know what I I chuckle at here? He asked for the thing that the king would not give. He said to the other guys, I know you're just trying to bargain for time. He says, I don't want to give you time. And Daniel walks in and says, can I have some time? I think that's remarkable that he should ask for the kind. And not only that, but he got it granted to him. The king replied, I know for certain, in verse number 8, that you're bargaining for time. And now, up to this time, Daniel's wisdom is really starting to show. The king, with his extreme judgment, a group of men who could not answer the request, Daniel still possibly in training, and his friends, they're destined for execution. And this is where the true wisdom sets into the picture. What do you do? What do you do? Daniel went to his house, verse 17 says. He informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Oh, by the way, how's the training going? Weren't their names changed? Isn't it funny how God doesn't even really bring up those names anymore? The king gave them names, but God goes back to the record and says, am Mishael, and Azariah. And Daniel, by the way, had his name changed too. And rarely are you going to see it in the text. Once in a while it pops up, but it's always... Oh, by the way, that's also Belteshazzar. But we're talking about Daniel. All right? Because God takes them back to their names here. So he comes to them and he, he pulls them aside and he says, uh, uh, I want... Us to pray. To request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. That's our prayer request. You know prayer is a matter of faith, don't you? Prayer is a matter of faith. Prayer is saying something. Every time you pray, this is what you're literally saying. You're saying, God... I have a problem. We do. I cannot solve it. We can't. I know you can solve it. I humbly ask, will you? That's what prayer is. That's what it comes down to. I have a problem. I can't solve it. God can solve it. My only request is, will he? Will he So, prayer is complete dependence upon God. The answer is completely in Him. He answers however He chooses. You know that sometimes He says yes. Sometimes He says no. Sometimes He says wait. And you may say, well, what if He's not talking? (laughs) What if I don't know? You know, our pa- impatience level is pretty great at times. I probably told you this before, but our, some of you wouldn't know. Uh, many, many times as a kid, um, when we wanted to ride our bikes, there's a park down the street, and we would ride our bikes out to the park and things like that. We'd go to my mom. Say, Mom, can we can we go ride our bikes down to the park? And we dreaded the next phrase. She would say, Go ask your father. Now, it wasn't that my dad was mean or anything like that. More times than not, he would say yes. If he said something, we would go to where he was. Usually, he was down in the garage working on somebody's car. That was typically where we found him. He was always fixing cars for people in the church. And was a beautiful ministry. But he was occupied. And we'd walk up to the door, and there he is, working on somebody's clutch or something, whatever that part was in the middle of the floor. And he's working away on it, and we say, "Uh, Dad, Mom said we need to ask you if it's okay if we go to the park. And then we'd wait. Because he didn't answer us right away. It could be 20 minutes before he says something. Literally. I'm not teasing, I'm not exaggerating. We'd stand there and wait. And wait, and wait, and wait. And he never said anything. And we're wondering, did he hear us? And then suddenly he'd say, what did your mother say? (laughs) Uh, And it was like that so often. And sometimes I think we'd think that's the way God would be when we ask him things. Guys, did you hear? I asked. No answer. No direction. You ever been there? Oh, that's not easy. Here is Daniel turning to the God of heaven, asking for compassion when there's a guy out there slaying wise men. Does it sound urgent to you? Like, he's down the block, God. What do we do? He just asked for compassion. That's all he said. God, we depend upon you. We are dependent on you. However you want to answer. They didn't tell him how to answer. How's this Babylonian indoctrination going so far? Daniel's allegiance to the Lord, was it changed by the world that he lived in now? No. No. Daniel's solution... Was to pray. Think of this. He's being taught to consult the books. To look at the stars. To study the moon. To to look at the sun. He didn't even tell Nebuchadnezzar that his request was possible. Or impossible. He was just convinced that God could do something about it. And if his prayers were not answered, that would be the end of the story. That's where it's at. When you go to pray, do you pray that God who answers prayer, do you believe that? He can answer your prayer. He will answer your prayer. Do you believe that when you pray? Or do you hope that maybe... He might come through on your behalf. Daniel's life was literally on the line. You've seen that, right? His life was literally on the line. And this is not a foxhole prayer. Some of you might not know what a foxhole prayer is. Especially some of these younger kids. I'll tell you what it's like. Back in World War II, And this is one of the scenes where it shows up the most. Put yourself in the Pacific Arena. And suddenly the ship and the the people, cargo, transport. I don't know what they call those things. I'm not into those words too much. But it drives you up along the beach and the door opens up and you go running out onto the shore. And as you're running onto the shore, there are people shooting at you. And the first thing you want to do is dig a big hole. You get out there furiously with your little shovel digga, 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 to get into that hole, and guess what you do once you get in it? Oh God, help me! Their first prayer, and how often that goes out from a foxhole, because that's a very dangerous situation to be in. It's only seconds between you and something that might destroy you. A foxhole prayer, somebody said, is born. When a person dives into prayer out of fear or desperation, when all the usual trusted resources have failed, and prayer is the last resort. Daniel's prayer was not his last resort, it was his first. Daniel didn't go to prayer because his usual trusted resources had failed. Daniel went to prayer because that is the kind of man he was. He was dependent upon God. He trusted God regardless. That's how he lived. Somebody had said a foxhole prayer had two characteristics. The first is a bargain. God, if you get me out of this, I promise I will. And then fill in the blank. And the second part of it is, their prayers are quickly forgotten. I said, hmm. Notice something so simple. Daniel didn't bargain with God to save his skin. He didn't even bring up the executioner. He didn't go and explain all the intricate details about what was the biggest need at the moment. He didn't express it in urgency. He just said, God... We need your compassion. That was his request. He left all the rest up to him. All the rest. Every single part of it was up to God. He knew God knew the situation. When you pray, do you have to tell God everything that he doesn't know? You ever been like that? Lord, let me tell you a story. And then you just start from there. Thirteen years ago. And you start going through the list. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. He just asked for compassion. If God were to answer, it was not because he owed anything to Daniel. Oh, but Daniel took an uncompromising stand in his day. God didn't answer it because Daniel took an uncompromising stand as if that needed a reward. He did not base it on Daniel's prayers. And by the way, Daniel was a man of prayer. If you read Ezekiel, twice it brings it up that Ezekiel is giving the message from the Lord that these people are going to be destroyed and nobody on this earth could pray for them. And even if Job or Noah or Daniel prayed for you, I wouldn't listen. Wow. God bring out three individuals that said they know how to pray. And even if they prayed for you, it wouldn't be enough. That's Ezekiel's story. But God did not answer it because Daniel was a man of prayer. Or Daniel had a great diet. Or that Daniel was committed to the law. law. Now Daniel did all those things, and he did them very impressively. We can mark that without a doubt. But what he counted on was God's mercy, not God's rewards. He said, only, Lord, do I count on your mercy here. That's it. You're the only answer to my need. He did not bargain with God. He trusted God. You see the difference? He trusted Him. Regardless. Regardless. Page 13 of my notes is the application. You see it? You say, Why is it blank? Did my ink run out? No. I want you to take your prayer life and examine it. How do you pray with God? How do you pray with God? What is it that you take before that throne that says, God, I deserve to be heard because? But it's urgent. I know. How do you bargain with God, or do you? Is that your prayer? Do you think based on your reputation, or based on your church attendance, or based on your position of some kind, that God has a special category for answering prayer for you? Is there something in your prayer life that's more about you than about God? I just want to ask that question, because this is what's coming back at me. I've been looking at this blank page for several days thinking, it's too full of me. It says all these things back at me. And it says, what about your prayer life, Pastor? You don't see it on there, do you? I do. What do you see on your blank piece of paper? I like the phrase, trust God regardless. That could be at the top of this page, and you need to fill it out. I don't know your circumstances or what you're going through. Some of you, I do, especially. But what's going on in your heart? What's your, your time with God about? What is it you're wrestling with? What is it that's, that's so urgent to you? What is it that you have been bringing before God? Have you even brought it before God? There's a lot of questions in this. That's why I couldn't come up with a single application that would fit all of us. Because I think just bringing it up, that we're called to be praying people is where the application starts. Does God expect us to pray? Oh yes, do you know why? It's faith. It's dependence. And we're called to do that. And that could be on your page right now too. Lord, I haven't been obeying you in that point. Or maybe it's all about you and you haven't thought about who you're talking to. Or maybe you're asking for things that are not in keeping with his will. Or maybe you're angry with Him. I know some people who are. Lord, you did this to me. You did this to my family. You didn't answer that prayer request. It's not the way I wanted it. I'm upset. Maybe you're there too. I want you to fill out that page in your own mind and in your own heart. Talk to the Lord about it. Do you know who he is? Daniel says, he's the God of compassion. Guess what that means? You're welcome to come to him. You're welcome to walk into that room. And by the way, anything you say in prayer is not going to surprise him. Do you know that? We used to say it this way. It's not going to knock him off his throne. He's not going to be shocked. At what you say. Because scripture even says he knows what you need even before you ask it. Now, do you have more confidence to walk into that room? I think you should. But add to it this one important point. Jesus died so that you might have access to the Father. He's provided the way for you. And just in keeping with the fact that Jesus shed his life that we may have this access. Why are we not taking it? Why are we not going there? I don't know how the shoe fits today. I don't know how your page 13 is going to fill out. But I'm going to leave it in your lap. Because we just see a man, and we don't know the rest of the story yet. Oh, you've read the book. At least 32 of you have. But there's more to the story. And we'll get back to that next week. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for what you do in our lives. Every single day is a reality that we are dependent upon you. Just for life, just to live, just to have a heart that beats, just to have a mind that thinks, to have food to eat, air to breathe. Lord, you are the one who, Scripture says, in you we live and move and have our being. But much more than that, we, as your children, are given access to your throne to ask for help in the time of need. You have made that avenue available to us. And suddenly it becomes an application for a sermon that we've just heard about Daniel and the way he prayed and what he asked for. And he sets an example for us, and we need it. For we need to examine our prayer life today. If there's anything in this, Lord, that you would like to correct in us, please do it. If there's anything in us that you need to encourage, please do it. If you're building us to trust you more, Lord, please do that. We ask that your work might be done in us, to change us. That we might be those kind of people in a day and age like now to be first to go to prayer rather than wait for the last resort. Teach us, Lord, we pray, from this passage and work in our hearts. Help us to fill out page 13 in such a way that it honors you. I ask this today in Jesus' name. Amen.